episode 22, Fixing First Fills. Today, I'm talking about primary adherence with Tron Awareness from Medvantix. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Today, I'm speaking with Tron Awareness from a company called Medvantix. And today we, we talk about adherence, first of all, which is obviously a huge problem and a, a, a topic that is way too big to really get too far discussing in a 40-minute podcast. But we, we talk about the two kinds of adherence, primary and secondary. What Tron calls primary adherence, I have always heard as first fill. So we, in the pharma business in any case, talk about the first fill as when a patient goes, actually goes to the pharmacy to pick up the, their, their first prescription. And there is a pretty giant drop off between the number of prescriptions which are written and the number of prescriptions which are actually filled. Tron calls that primary adherence. And then he, what he calls secondary adherence is pretty much what happens after that, how adherent a patient is in an, in an ongoing way. How Medvantix has tackled the, the first fill issue is with these cabinets, which they call med starter cabinets. Effectively, what they are is, is kind of a kiosk, which is put actually inside the provider office so that as the second that a provider writes the, the script, they can actually hand the patient a, uh, you know, their first 30 day supply. In case you don't know, my name is Stacy Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Franklin Healthcom. Welcome to the program this morning, Tron. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about who you are and and, um, and your company. I work uh, for a company called Medvantix. I headed up uh, business development. Prior to being with Medvantix, I have a probably about 18 plus years in pharmaceuticals vendor slash services side, uh, but also been on the marketing operations and sales and sales management side of manufacturers and have gained a bit of experience on both sides of the table. Also, I have a background living in growing up in Europe. So I've seen socialized healthcare and the goods and bads of that. Why don't we talk about adherence for a sec before we get into exactly what Med Medvantix does? I mean, obviously, adherence is a major issue in this country, as those of us who, who, who work with it are very familiar. There are a lot of factors that you have to consider when you look at uh, getting patients to become adherent. If we go down to the bottom and look at the types of disease states or conditions, we typically look at symptomatic and asymptomatic diseases. Symptomatic diseases being the types of diseases or conditions where you have, you know, it could be pain. If you have diabetes, you will have low blood sugar or high blood sugar and you have, you know, you're feeling sick, you're not feeling right. And typically with those types of disease states, you might be more likely to be adherent to your medication because you immediately feel better when you take your medicine. Uh, we still struggle a lot with adherence in that type of disease state as well, but even more with the asymptomatic diseases where the patients do not feel any symptoms right then and there. It's high blood pressure, high cholesterol, things that you can that you can measure with equipment but the patient might not feel it until they have an event such as you know a heart attack or a stroke 
the challenge that we have is to get patients to understand that to be proactive of not having events like that, you have to take your, your medication. People have a million reasons for why they don't want to take their medication. We estimate that less than 50% of patients adhere to their prescriptions and uh, medication regimens. A lot of times we hear in the media that people don't take their medicine because of cost. And there are a lot of studies out there that show that cost is not the only reason. It could be part of a reason. One study that I read uh, showed a group of patients that had just had a heart attack. Uh, we call it an myocardial infarction. So post-MI, these patients, we looked at two groups of patients in this study. The patients that had a uh, regular standard copay, about 39% of the patients took their medication. And then the other group of patients had a $0 copay, and the adherence percentage only went up to 45%. And this is not patients that have just been gone to the doctor, been told that they have a disease that might be asymptomatic. They've had a heart attack, a major event, and still we have a hard time getting patients uh, to take their medication. Now, as part of that study, you know, because obviously studies like the Asheville and the Hewlett-Packard have, have proven that counseling in a reduced copay seems to dramatically improve adherence. Um, so I'm assuming the study you're talking about is just removing costs. This was just removing costs, just to look at that part of it to see, you know, can we back up the fact that it's only cost? But when it comes to adherence, there's so many factors that play in. Cost is one of them. It's change of lifestyle. It's education, understanding why they have to take the medication and, you know, what are the risks if you don't, then those things apply to different types. Uh, you know, you look at the age of patients, you look at their educational level, what uh, is their socioeconomic status. Uh, the other thing that's extremely important is it's convenient, it's easy, and that they have easy access to, to medication. So if you can get all those things tweaked and put together, we're never going to get 100% compliance, but if we can get it higher, it'll save us a lot of money because one of the biggest costs for United States healthcare is not adherence or compliance. It's frequently been said the most expensive medication is the drug the patient doesn't take. Not only are we wasting the cost of the drug that was paid for, but also the outcomes that the patient is foregoing because exactly. they're not taking the medication. So it yep. sounds like basically what you're saying is that there are a, a constellation of factors relative to non-adherence, that there's probably as many reasons for non-adherence as there are patients. So it's very difficult to make any kind of generalizations relative to why people do or do not take their medication. It's clear that education plays into this. And also, as you had mentioned before, convenience as well. I mean, there's certain factors that are relatively known why patients may or may not be non-adherent. So it sounds like what we we could do in this country, and this is a, a, a nice segue into um, Medvantix, is to identify some of those, the knowns, and to work on those. And one of the yep. things that you alluded to is this convenience factor. So could you just give us a very top line of, of Medvantix and, and how um, Medvantix might improve adherence in, in this way? We look at primary adherence and secondary adherence. Primary adherence is a patient gets a prescription 
taking that prescription to the pharmacy and picking up their medication and actually take that first pill or tablet or capsule or shot. That's, that's what we call primary adherence, picking up their medication. So what we, what we do at Bedvantix is we have a uh, kind of a closed loop system where we in uh, primary care offices have a MedStart Connect cabinet that the physicians can access. Uh, a lot of the offices uh, we are in are within a health system and we have health plans in the areas that we have our cabinets and we work closely with them to create a formulary to decide what medications go into these cabinets. We typically house about 50 medications in a cabinet, and I would say about 90% of those medications are generic. Uh, we have over-the-counter medications, and we have branded medications that are preferred on the uh, formulary for the area that they're in. And where exactly does this cabinet, this, the, the MedStarter cabinet, sit? So the MedStart cabinet is placed within the workflow of the office uh, where the physician uh, between the waiting rooms. And so it's placed in a good place where he can go see a patient. He goes from there, maybe goes to a printer to pick something up. But on the way, he can go to that MedStart cabinet and take the patient with them. Uh, they go in. It's, it's linked to the EMR in the office so they can pull up the patient's information based on their calendar that day. They dispense the medication that the patient needs, and this is to overcome what we call the primary adherence issue. The patient now does not need to go to the pharmacy to get that first prescription filled. This is considered a sample, but most of the uh, generic medications that we dispense are a 30-day course of treatment. So now we can get the patient to start taking the medication uh, we can start creating some habits of taking that medication for symptomatic diseases. They can start feeling better. For asymptomatic diseases, you know, we can provide them with a lot of education to make them understand why they need to take this. Also, when they do get the medication, they get literature with it to make sure that they can educate themselves. In addition to that, it takes them into, you know, we gather information of the patient, but we also offer them the opportunity to get their generic medication at a very low cost through our mail order pharmacies. Just to connect the the cabinets back to primary adherence, like you were saying, I mean, I know just from the work that we've done that we call it the first fill drop off. You call it primary adherence. But basically at the, the, the bottom line is that there is a huge drop off between the number of prescriptions that are written and the number of prescriptions which are actually filled. Yeah, I think people are pretty shocked. The general public who do not work in the industry to hear that, uh, you know, 48 to 50 percent of medication or prescriptions that are written are, are never picked up at the pharmacy. And a lot of people scratch their heads and they, they just don't think that makes sense. And it, and it doesn't make sense. But uh, it, those are numbers that have been backed up for years. And it's uh, they are real numbers. So if we can overcome the primary adherence and then move into the secondary adherence. And what we as a company do there is after the patient receives their medication, we will reach out to them with a phone call uh, from our call center. And we also have pharmacists on, on, on the phone that can answer questions if they have questions about side effects or questions about the medication, anything that they want to know. So now we move into the secondary adherence part where the patient is being reminded to take their medication through various avenues, but we also have to make it convenient. So for some of the patients, we can offer them mail order 
and they can get their medication, the generic medications, extremely inexpensive. And here is the whole uh, convenience part of it. So we try to address the convenience. We try to address the cost. We try to address the primary adherence. But still what we're working on and improving and the, all of us who are in the industry is how can we now get the patients to stay on therapy and make sure they understand how important that is. It definitely sounds like um, Medvantix has a, a closed loop solution at its whole. You know, you, you start out, um, you make sure that the, the patient gets the medication that they need. You know, so in other words, you're combating the first fill drop off by making sure that the, the patient walks out of the physician office with an important medication, something that's key to the outcomes. I mean, we're, this yep. show is all about outcomes. And, and yep. obviously, if patients aren't adherent, they're not getting the outcomes. But then on the back end, Medvantix, your company, also has a mail order pharmacy and, and different things which you can use subsequently in order to support the patient throughout the that prescription cycle. What we're trying to improve on still is what are better ways to reach out to the patient. Uh, there, there's new technology. There's a term that's being uh, referred to as automated hovering. Dr. Kevin Volpe, who is at the Perelman School of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania, has written some articles about this. And I, I, I read a lot of his, his literature. But automated hovering has to do with using technology to get the patients to re be reminded, but you got to, it's a fine line between doing that and becoming, you know, you don't want to become a, uh, a nuisance to the patient. Exactly. <laughs> and, and if a patient gets diagnosed with a, a very a severe disease, there are so many things that they need to overcome psychologically when that happens. You know, there's a shock to them as a person, shock to their family, depending on how severe it is. So there's a lot of things that they need to overcome. And then at the same time, starting the educational process and then understanding to take medications. So there are so many things to overcome and so many moving parts. Let's go back to these cabinets because I'm very fascinated by by how they work. And, and I do feel like this is a pretty disruptive kind of technology, which is pretty ingenious if you think about it. If one of the biggest barriers to adherence is getting the, the patient to pick up their prescription in the first place, why not make sure before they leave the physician office that they have the script in their hands? Now, you said you work with a bunch of different health systems. So I'm assuming that you would work with the administrator of a health system who would then say, all right, in all of our PCP offices, we want these cabinets or how does this work? Correct. No, that's right. So we, we try to work with the health systems and then also we work with the health plans within these areas and we work uh, with the pharmacy directors to figure out what products of branded products because the, the generic products, there's good coverage, but also some of the newer medications that are branded medications. We work with the manufacturer. We work with the health plans. We also keep the health systems informed of what we're, what we're doing we look at products typically that have a tier two coverage, so there's a, a lower copay for the patient. And these are the branded medications that we make available in the in the cabinets. There's there's benefits to the health plan and the health systems as well because now we get better compliance or adherence with the patients, which will save them money. Also, we provide them data back showing how adherent or compliant the patients are. And we, in some cases, they will have their own mail order pharmacies that they prefer that the patients use uh, some of the payers. So we're, we're totally flexible with that. But 
there's a lot of data generated when these samples are dispensed. And this data is available to the manufacturer and to the health plans so they can see how this is improving adherence. So there's two two things that we're working on. Uh, we want to, as a company, we want to make sure that the patients have access to medication. Uh, we want to improve adherence. And improved adherence leads to savings to the health plans. Uh, and if the health plans save money, then we can lower the costs of copay. And we can also save money for the whole health system in the United States. Let me just interject here. And I definitely want to talk about the data in a moment. But before we get there, let's just um, circle back to the cabinet for a sec. Because you said inside the cabinet, there's a mixture of generic medications and then also branded medications. Correct. Um, And the one thing that struck me, what you said about the branded medication, is that you said you focus on tier two brands. But, but I'm assuming that, I mean, most health systems are not single payer systems. I mean, generally speaking, they work multi-payer. So Correct. how do you, you know, so say I'm a doctor and I'm, I, you know, I realize that my, my patient needs a, say something newer than a generic. So I walk up to the cabinet. How do I know that the branded med that's in that cabinet is T2 on, you know, tier two on that patient's pay, uh, plan? So say that we have a health system in one state, then we look at the uh, the major payers and look at their formularies. If if a product is tier two on some of the major plans, it's very likely that they are on most other plans as well. If it's a if it's a large brand, uh, so that's why we focus on those. If there is a certain plan that they're not covered as a tier two product, then we can message that on the cabinet to the physician. So they will know that this plan does not cover this product. We never put a product in the cabinet if there's not, if the majority of the plans do not cover the product, the brand, then we do not put it in the cabinet because we don't want to get into a situation where the patient gets a medication that's working really well for them. And then they go to fill their first prescription after they receive their sample or first course of therapy in the office and the copays too high in their opinion and then we are going to you know lose lose uh, the adherence and they might be upset with a health plan and call them and and that's definitely something we don't want to do so if a if a if a branded product is in the kiosk we've already gone through the process which takes a long time but also if a product is tier 3 on a plan and we plan to put it into the cabinet if majority of other plans in the area has it as a tier two, we can sometimes help that brand get a better status with a plan. We can sometimes get it down to a tier two by working with a manufacturer, the plan, and us because we now get better exposure to the product. And uh, through our cabinets, we actually can help the brand get a better status. And what would be required in order for that latter scenario that you just described to actually happen? I mean, obviously, outcomes and, and comparative effectiveness research and, and a lot of the different things which it takes to get on formulary that, uh, you know, the, the, the ways that payers evaluate drugs are probably going to be important there, right? Absolutely. Typically, the process is that the manufacturer will have to provide a better rebate to the health plan to get a better status. And uh, if if they would like to be in our cabinets in an area that's important to them from a strategic standpoint, then we can 
all three come to the table and work with a manufacturer to offer a better rebate to the to the plan in order to get them down to a tier two status if they want to participate in our network. Look at me being all idealistic. I'm like patient outcomes and like no <laughs> rebates. <laughs> hey, the, these you know these are all facts. People agree with it or don't agree with it, but unfortunately, these are all facts that we have to look at. And there, uh, there's a lot of work that goes into. Before we get a product into a cabinet, there's a lot of work that we go through to make sure that we satisfy the needs of all the players that are involved. Yeah, I can see you are probably the master at figuring out what the shared priorities are of various stakeholders that may have very different end games. So. Yeah, we, we have to be diplomatic in our approach and, and try to work with everybody and, and also paint a picture for what the benefits are to the different players. The plans can save a lot of money. They can get better adherence. The brands can get better exposure. So we, you know, we have to make sure we show everybody what's, what's in it for them. I would think that the health systems that you that are most likely to work with you and, and correct me if I'm wrong because I'm speculating here would would be health systems that are assuming some sort of risk so either a capitated or a risk share kind of system w- would that be true it depends on the each system and and kind of what their strategy is there's big benefit to the systems of having these cabinets in in their in their system because most of the health systems that have gone out and purchased primary care offices no longer they do know they don't do any sampling anymore a majority of them because from a pdma standpoint they would be responsible for any samples that are in their 100 offices or so and this would be would have to be monitored from a centralized location for the health system it would literally take two or three people extra on payroll just to stay compliant. So that most of them have said no samples. We don't want the responsibility. There is a lot of responsibility involved in having prescription drugs uh, sitting in these in closets. Uh, guidelines are getting tighter, and uh, it's hard for them to be compliant. We also have another thing that we need to look at is patient satisfaction. A patient that can walk into an office that walks out with their first prescription free creates a happy patient uh, and a happy patient is more likely to refer other business back to that office or that health system or to say, you know, this office is great. That's one of the benefits to the systems or the offices is that they having this cabinet in there and providing free medication or education to the patient makes the patients happy. They feel they're better taken care of. And that's kind of coming back to what, what I talked about earlier What's in it for me? What's in it for all these players that we speak to when we place the cabinet? So there's a huge benefit to the systems to have these cabinets in there. Let me just summarize. So the the benefit would be, obviously, if you are participating in any sort of risk share where outcomes matter, this Mm -hmm. is a great way to make sure that the patients are at least starting on the adherence path well. Number Correct. one. Number two, it would be patient satisfaction because this is incredibly convenient and, and patients could certainly save a trip to the pharmacy. I'm yep. wondering whether do you see any systems signing up because it helps them meet certain star rating or quality standards? Like, for example, I know there's several parents star ratings and also outcomes ratings for certain chronic conditions. Do you see yes. that as a driving factor? Yeah, we have, if it's an initial driving factor, 
uh, they might look at other other things first. But if, if star ratings are important to them, we have seen uh, in many cases that star ratings are improved because of the cabinets and the adherence that we can help them with. Because this cabinet eliminates a trip to the pharmacy, do you get pushback from pharmacists? In other words, you know, pharmacists really say that the benefit that they offer is that they catch drugs that could interfere with each other or, you know, they provide specific counseling. Do you see an issue there? There could always be issues, but no, it's it's not a it's not a big issue because the physicians will know what medications the patients are taking. So they they have they, it's their job to look in their chart and see what they're on and be educated enough to understand what the drug interactions could be. Uh, doc, uh, patients, they doctor hop sometimes and they'll go to different doctors, but they also pharmacy hop. So if you go to one retail chain, they share data, but there's not data shared necessarily between the different chains. So unless the patient go to the same retail pharmacy to fill their prescription, they're not going to be able to look at that information. But we're talking about primary adherence here, which is to get the product in the hand of the patient. And then only about eight or nine percent of patients in this country use mail order pharmacies. So still over 90 percent of patients will, for their second prescription, go to a retail pharmacy and uh, and get their medications filled. So this is the the primary part of it. And then the secondary, they still go into the retail pharmacies. So we're not competing with the retail pharmacies any more than any other mail-order pharmacy is. The pharmacies should probably be happy about what we do because we are getting the patients to take that first prescription and creating some habits. So it's more likely for them to come back to the pharmacy for the second, third, fourth, and fifth prescription. Circling back to the data that you had mentioned before, could you... Talk a little bit about who, you know, so obviously you're, you're collecting information about the patient and who got what med. And then where does that information go and what is it used for? Okay, so we collect four main sets of data. We, we collect medication data. So we collect what drug was dispensed, the NDC number, quantity, the date, the lot number, expiration date, and uh, if this was a junk therapy or not, which means is this a drug that you're being prescribed in addition to something else to improve upon your condition. The, the main, the very important part there compared to traditional sampling is we can, if say that a lot number of medication or a certain lot of medications are pulled off the market due to manufacturing issues, or there could be various reasons for that, we are now able to know exactly what patients got it and we can reach out to these patients and say please throw this in the trash or send it back to us for replacement etc so that's that's one of the safety things that's a good thing with the data the other data that we collect is physician data patient data and payer data so the physician data that helps us see what physician prescribed it the facility the decile the dea npi number state license number uh, so we know who prescribed it, and we can look a little bit at their habits, and that can help a marketer see who's who's actively prescribing their drugs. And any patients that are provided a sample from our cabinets is asked to sign a HIPAA disclosure form. But when they do that, that gives us the ability to follow up with them to make sure they're adherent, to make sure that they don't have any side effects, and that make sure that 
if they have any questions about the drugs, that they can get those questions answered by our pharmacists. We have 30 pharmacists in our call center that can get on the phone and talk to the patients. But also that data is shared. We don't share, of course, the, the specifics about the patient to the manufacturer. Uh, that would have to go to a third party if they want to follow up with them through some type of CRM program. But we can look at patient statistics, you know, gender, age, et cetera. And, you know, when you look at all this data, it'll help us, you know, if you can look at compliance data, there's so many things you can do with this data. And that's really what we're trying to make people understand as well. It's not just the, the, what happens on the front end, but the data that we collect is extremely important. Uh, and then we also pick up on the payer data from the health plan or the PBM. It also sounds like you're using that data very actionably to make sure that the first fill drop-off doesn't become the second fill drop-off. In other words, if you're calling patients who have that first 30-day supply to make sure that they're picking up the 30- to 60-day supply, correct? you're kind of getting them over that bridge. And what we also provide, this is something we started doing last year, whenever we dispense a generic medication to the patients, we have a a savings card that the patient can take with them to the pharmacy uh, that'll save them some money on the generic medication. So there's two reasons we do that. We want to make, we want to save the patient some money, but we also now are able to track the patient's behavior into the retail pharmacy and we can study adherence data even better. The patients that buy medications from our mail order pharmacy. That's not a problem. We have all that data, but we also need it now to follow the patients, those 90 plus percent patients that go to the retail pharmacy and follow them as well. It's not to follow the patient or stalk them or anything like that, but this is all in the interest of adherence, looking at data, patient behavior, and also be able to follow up with them and make sure they stay uh, adherent. Who's paying for those the, those discounts in general? Would it be the the plan or the manufacturer? Or? It's a uh, it's a negotiated rate between the pharmacies and the PBMs. So that cost is kind of spread out through several of the players. But what we're doing is that we are giving the patient an opportunity to take advantage of the negotiated rates that some of the pharmacies might have with a PBM, which a typical cash patients might not be able to get. So we're just kind of trying to get a discount to the patients that that they wouldn't necessarily be able to get if they just walked into a pharmacy with a prescription and paid cash for it. I get it. And the the benefit obviously to the the pharmacy and the and the PBM is that just like all coupons they're they're drawing the the patient into a certain place of business if you will. Correct. And like I said earlier cost is part of the uh, adherence issue. I don't believe it's the primary adherence issue because when you look at some of these generic products some of the generic products that we dispense in our cabinets, uh, the patients can buy it from our retail pharmacy, get 90 days worth of medication for $10. So it's it's not necessarily the main reason. It's more behavior. Just, they're so distracted with a lot of other things in life. And patients under 50 tend to be less adherent than patients over 50 for the obvious reasons of busy with children and work and running around. And there's so many distractions in their life uh, that take away from that focus of, of staying adherent to a medication. And how many, just talking about um, Advantix at a, at a macro level, how many cabinets approximately do you have installed across the country today? 
Uh, currently, we have, we're in 15 states. We have 820, 830 cabinets. Doesn't sound like a lot, but we have close to 4,000 prescribers prescribing for us on a regular basis. To date, we have dispensed close to 5 million samples. Uh, we currently sample about 45, 40 to 45,000 samples a month. So it, 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 it adds up to a lot. And of course, our goal is to broaden this network by working with the health systems throughout the country. And uh, in the next few years, we hope to get to a level of about 2,500 cabinets. And you've been doing this for, for a while. I think your company was founded, what was 10, 15 years ago? Yeah, we've been around for 15 years. The cabinets have been around for about 10 years. The market wasn't really ready for this when we launched the cabinets. But now with so many health systems, buying clinics, less access for pharmaceutical sales reps into the offices, no sampling offices, no sampling closets, and ACOs and so many different types of offices, the health the healthcare industry has changed so much in the last five years so many of us don't really know where it's going. There's so many new things. Not everyone put their hand on it and say, this is exactly what's going to happen in the next five years because it's so tumultuous right now. But one thing that we know for sure is that the cabinets being out there and, and, and the, the work that we do in the marketplace, the timing in the last two, three years and right now is very, very good. If somebody has three hours clear on their calendar and an interest in improving adherence for a particular patient population... Where should they start? You know, what should they start thinking about? First of all, you got to look at, you got to dissect the whole process, but you got to start from the bottom and say, uh, what is the medication that you have? What is, what is, what are the treatment areas? Is it a symptomatic disease? Is it asymptomatic? What's the typical age group that takes your medication? What's the cost? What's, you know, do you have a copay card, some type of uh, cost reduction? What's your coverage on the plans? What's your sample strategy, if any? Sampling, traditional sampling is going to go away more and more. If you go to Europe, sampling hardly doesn't even exist. And it's it's hard to talk about Europe as one entity because each country has a little bit different rules. But if you look at sampling there, uh, you know, a, a drug company might be able to sample once a year and give them a handful of samples just so they can try it out. And that's it. And their restrictions are getting tighter and tighter here as well. And what's currently being done to improve adherence for your product? Uh, do you have any data that you can look at to, to what works, what doesn't work? What tactics do you have in place from a promotional standpoint to educate the patients, make them understand what your medication does? You have to take an approach where you address all the issues that we talked about today, costs, convenience, education, uh, and, and you've got to put all these things together you can work with companies that are out there that specialize in adherence. We're one of them. Uh, we're the only company that do specifically what we do. But you need to really dissect and, and look at it. And, um, you know, then you will build a solution based on all these questions that you have to ask yourself. And you are never going to get 100% adherence. But if you can improve on it, any percentage point uh, is good. And you'll see incremental cost savings from a national level and healthcare cost. It very much sounds like the three hours could be best spent really looking, you know, gathering together all of the information, which might help you, you know, figure out what inroad might be, give you the most bang for your, your dollar. In, in yeah. Way. 
And adherence is certainly, you know, this is one thing that I try to keep hammering home is it's one size fits all does not apply to adherence because we have so many moving parts. Like, you you know, you, you brought this up again earlier. It's not just the medication and the type of medication and convenience, but then you also have to look at the patient and all the psychological ins and outs of a patient. You know, what makes a 40-year-old be adherent is not the same way you reach or connect with a 60-year-old patient. So there's so many dynamics in place that you really have to be very specialized in doing this. So if someone would like to reach you, Tron, where, where can they get a hold of you? The best way is probably to reach me via email. Uh, I believe that's on the podcast. It's tron.awareness at medvantix.com. Any information that we can help them with or just answer questions, we're happy to help. Thank you so much for being on the program today, Tron. Thank you. I appreciate your time. And uh, hopefully uh, what we've talked about today can uh, help improve some of the issues that we've discussed. As usual, the email address for Tron and the links that he mentioned throughout the podcast can be found on this episode link at RelentlessHealthValue.com. Did you know that you do not have to remember to download the latest Relentless Health Value podcast each week? You can subscribe. If you subscribe, then the episode will be automatically delivered to you in one of two ways. The first way is via iTunes. If you go to RelentlessHealthValue.com and you look over in the right-hand sidebar, you will see a gigantic orange dot. If you click on that dot, you will be taken over to iTunes. And if you hit subscribe there, then every week in your iTunes library, the podcast will automatically download. If you use the podcast app, it will be extra convenient. The other way to subscribe is by looking right underneath that large orange dot to a little form there that says, get the podcast delivered to your email. If you click on that button and type in your email address, then once a week you will get an email with a link to the podcast. It is very easy to subscribe. I'm so glad that you listened this week. Please interact with us on Twitter. We are at Relentless Health on Twitter, and that would be Relentless with only one S. So Relentless with one S, health. Please definitely feel free to interact with us, leave a comment, ask a question. We'd love to hear from you. And I very much hope that you'll tune in next week.